Our guest today is Alison Lomax, the Managing Director of YouTube UK. What's your watch hours? What my watch hours? <laughs> I mean, at least a couple of hours a day. We're a very creative household. Now, when you think of most business leaders, you might think that they are time poor and that they don't have time for an hour, let alone a couple of hours watching content per day. But then most people aren't running a TV platform. When I left number 10 four years ago, if you had said to me you'll become a part of the creator economy, I would have been quite surprised and I would probably have had to ask you what a creator was. Over the past three years though, I've become far more familiar with the term and have now begun to realise what an interesting sector and businesses are being created and how serious the scale of it is. YouTube's creator economy contributed over 2 billion to the UK's GDP and has created the equivalent of 45,000 full-time jobs in 2022. YouTube just released their economic contribution report, and there are now 65,000 YouTube creators in the UK who are making direct revenue from the platform, and 15,000 of them are at a sufficient scale to employ people. That is a big part of the economy that didn't even really exist 10 years ago. That's why it was so much fun to have Alison Lomax to join us on Jimmy's Jobs of the Future to talk about the last decade of working at YouTube. Alison, welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Thank you. Welcome to YouTube. <laughs> I know, it's amazing <laughs> to be here and kind of see this it. It's going to be your permanent home now, isn't it? <laughs> Camped out we here. I do quite in the like studio. it. Yeah. I wanted to just ask some sort of quick fire kind of Go creator questions. So, yes. what, was the, what was the last thing you watched on YouTube? Oh, uh, 50 years of hip hop playlist. It's actually a big week. In oh, right. terms of 50 years of hip-hop, it's yeah. the anniversary and we're doing loads of events at YouTube this week. So we've got loads of great stars, people like Miss Dynamite, Ratch 3-2, etc. Big events going on and I was listening to playlists all weekend. Ah, and what was the, and so what was the thing that you watched last? I watched Miss Dynamite and okay. I hadn't seen that video. It was a real kind of like going back to yeah, sort of yeah. when I was a lot younger. And ended up watching kind of loads of her old stuff. So I spent a bit of time, yeah, going into my, my music history yesterday. And what's the <clears> creator <throat> that you kind of watch most frequently, do you think? Oh, well, that's hard. That's, that's like kind of favourite child, <laughs> which we definitely can't go into because uh, there isn't one. <laughs> yeah. Is, uh, who would I say? So I'm loving, there's a creator called Hayley Morris, who mm -hmm. is a comedy sketch creator. But she's, what's really smart about it is she does it all in shorts. So okay. it's all in 60 seconds. So she just, I find her absolutely hilarious. So I'm, I've been watching a lot of her. But That's it is a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard question because obviously I watch a huge you, amount of YouTube content. And do you, does it, because you are the MD of YouTube, does that, is it a bit like a busman's holiday watching the content or does it take the enjoyment out for Not you? Not at all. <laughs> no, it just gets better. It really does. Because for me, it's a real luxury that that's my job. Yeah. And my job is to watch a huge amount of content. And no, and I, I'm just how, constantly finding new creators and new, you know, producers and music artists. How much are you watching a week? How, what's your watch hours? What my watch hours? <laughs> your personal watch hours? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> I mean, at least a couple of hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. And what so, else is on in the Lomax household? What else is on, on, on Pe YouTube? Yeah. So we are, um, we're very creative. I say we're a very creative household. I live with creatives. Yes. So my husband is a film producer, so he watches um, a lot of archive content of uh, film and TV, which we watch together. Uh, we listen to loads of podcasts and watch loads of 
my podcasts on, on YouTube. My eldest daughter, I've got two daughters who are teenagers. My eldest daughter is very musical. She actually taught herself uh, Bohemian Rhapsody on YouTube, having had no piano lessons. And we felt very guilty when she played Bohemian Rhapsody to the whole school. And the headmaster came up to me at a parents' evening art and went, you've, you've never paid for a piano lesson? Like, you are really bad parents. Uh, so we watch a lot of music with her. She's a huge fan of, you know, Jake Collier and lots of our music artists. And then my youngest daughter is very into fashion and design. So she watches loads of uh, fashion content. And I'd say that, that probably the thing that, we all love and we all watch together the most is football content. So we're right. big women's football fans. Yes. And uh, we obviously, with this year's World Women's World Cup, the broadcast rights with BBC and ITV, so we watch the, the, the live games. But then outside of the 90 minutes, we watch a huge amount of the content on Sky Sports or DAZN or BBC ITV. Because some of the women's players particularly are quite innovative with the behind-the-scenes yes. stuff, right? Because the men's game is partly so professionalised, like none of that's really allowed to kind of take place. But with the women's game, there's a lot more happening on YouTube. Exactly. There is, and we work with a number of them. So there's a footballer who you may know. She's Scottish, but she plays for Ireland, Rucha Littlejohn. Mm -hmm. So she hit the headlines, actually, by not shaking Caitlin Ford's hand during the, uh, during the Ireland-Australia match. But she has a channel called Rootube, which is absolutely hilarious. She's a fantastic creator and footballer. We've also worked quite a lot with Ella Toon. So yep. um, she has uh, Ch Charlotte Tilbury advertising and she did a, a deal with Charlotte Tilbury on YouTube. So we work with a number of them and they're great at doing the behind the scenes. And as you say, they're very, they're very innovative. They're sort of very up for trying new types of content. Jill Scott is another one, actually. Yep. She's obviously an ex-lioness. But uh, Jill Scott's Coffee Morning, she has, uh, she has a podcast. She has uh, audiovisual content on YouTube. Um, what is – the podcast is quite an interesting space for YouTube because it's somewhere you're kind of like moving much more into. Sort of explain the chronology of that. Yes. And so what, what a lot of people don't realize is how big podcasts are already on YouTube. Yeah. So in the US, we've actually just launched a new podcast feature. So podcasts exist sort of in their own right. And you'll be pleased to hear that uh, that's coming very soon to the UK as well. But regardless of that feature, podcasts in the US uh, are the number two most watched podcasts at YouTube are, yeah. and number one for new podcast viewers. So very interesting for a Gen Z audience yeah. who prefers, who sort of likes the audiovisual, the aesthetic value of YouTube and sort of seeing the content more. So there yeah. are some brilliant new Gen Z podcast creators. And, uh, and obviously, you know, it plays to our strengths. You know, we are audiovisual, you know, we are, have a huge video archive. And, um, but just by improving the features and the capabilities, the analytics, things like what you will experience is better analytics in YouTube studio when it comes. Uh, so we just see huge potential. What's the biggest misconception that people hold about the YouTube algorithm? About the algorithm? I'm not sure there's necessarily a misconception. I would say it's more the word algorithm. The word mm. algorithm, it's a very, it's a very unhuman word, isn't it? Whereas actually, you know, when I think about the YouTube algorithm, it's the opposite because what yeah. it gives you is it gives you your own YouTube experience and I have my own YouTube experience. So it's an incredibly personalized viewing yeah. experience that it gives you because it's obviously surfacing the content that you love and showing you more content that you love. And so 
it's got hugely positive connotations. So I think it's just the interpretation of the word. And what advice would you give to creators that are looking to start out? Because it's one of these things that gets flagged up now that more and more children are looking to kind of be YouTubers, wanting to kind of be in that creator space. Mm -hmm. What's your advice to somebody just starting out on the journey? Think about, it's all about, you know, what, what's the brand that you want to create? What's the content that you're passionate about? And how can you do that in your own really authentic way? And there's also a bit about experimentation, isn't it? You know, at the beginning, it's sort of getting your hands dirty and working out, mm. looking at your analytics, seeing what's working, seeing, you know, where are the kind of peaks and troughs in terms of the content that people are looking at, really reading the comments as well. A lot of our creators say they get a huge amount of insights, which you probably do as well, from the comments that people write. So really using those and understanding what, what's working for your, for your audience. And not being afraid to try different things as well. I mean, something that we uh, we know is very unique at YouTube is it's a multi-format platform. You know, we've talked about podcasts, got shorts. I'm sure we'll talk a bit more about shorts later. Mm -hmm. Long-form content and also live as well. So, you know, it's an incredible creative playground. And so it's experimenting with the formats that work for you. You know, a number of creators are fully multi-format. There are others who might be very much shorts-focused and more, more live. But um, it's understanding what, what works for you as a creator. Uh, I love the phrase creative playground. That's great and a good way to sort of think about the different areas of it. Um, what are the sort of challenges that you've seen? Because you've been at Google now sort of almost 12 years. Yes, 12 and years. Like that's, so what, what changes have you seen? And I suppose what I'm sort of specifically coming after here slightly is that it used to be much easier to kind of like game followings and sort of just walk around with a camera and so on. It is now becoming a much more kind of professionalized platform of all the things mm. that you've already talked about. So again, it's just that challenge for the person that's starting out as a hobbyist, really. Yeah. And, you know, for YouTube, there are lots of different types of creators. There are still a number of creators, you know, who work as individual creators. There are others, you know, like yourself now, you know, when you started out, you talk about, you talked about how you used to do it in between nap times, yeah. you know, you did it on your own. You now have a team. Yeah. And, you know, there are a number of creators who have big teams. You know, we talk about um, the Sidemen in our impact report, which I know we'll come on to talk about later on. They've got 35 people. They've got production facilities. Yeah. So it's still a platform that works for everyone, depending on what stage you are of your creator journey. And I guess partly because we're at the earlier sort of side of our YouTube journey, when we put out a call for people, one of the questions I got more than any other was, why is 4,000 watch hours so high? Like, why, why, why can't that be lower was one of the questions that was asked. And what would your view be? My view would be running, having now run a business myself for three years, that there are more costs involved in a business than you anticipate. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, YouTube's got to make the margin somewhere. So that's my kind of reckoning on that side. And also is YouTube wants you to put the effort in to get to the 4,000 watch hours to sort of demonstrate that you... Commitment. I think yeah. also, and also the learning. It's the learning and, you know, yes. getting to a point where you are, as you say, more committed to it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great assessment. There we are. So I've just answered my <laughs> question for everyone there. <laughs> Or just you, Jimmy's, Jimmy's YouTube Jimmy's advice. Jimmy's exactly. Jimmy's full-time home in the YouTube <laughs> yeah. studio. Um, and, but give us some of the examples of, because the, the, I mean, the Simon are quite well known, but in the impact report, 
talk about these sort of 45,000 full-time equivalent jobs, mm-hmm. right? That is massive. Like if that were a company that would be in the sort of top 20 in the UK, um, can you give us a breakdown or a bit of insight into what those 45,000 jobs looks like? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. And they, and let, just stepping back, I think the first thing I want to say about the impact report and how proud we are of the numbers mm. is that, you know, I'm a great believer of the UK in terms of, you know, how fantastic we have been for years in terms of the creative industries, you know, yes. all this amazing talent that's come from the UK, the Beatles, living Westwood, you know, you could go on forever. And so it's brilliant that YouTube is just such a big part of that, you know, and it's something that, you know, we're very passionate about making sure that we support the UK creative economy and also, um, you know, we export our, our, our talent globally, which we've always done brilliantly. And so going back to your question about the 45,000 jobs, so they are a number of different types of jobs. They are the person in front of the camera, you know, the creative themselves. There are sound, you know, there are uh, thumbnail designers, which are very specific to YouTube, makeup, costume, set designers. So, yeah. you know, it's an incredibly broad range of, of jobs. And then also talent managers. So the talent manager ecosystem has obviously grown enormously yes. in the last, you know, five to 10 years as well, because YouTube creators, you know, you look at someone like Amelia de Molenberg, you know, she's on the red carpet of the Golden Globes, of the Barbie premiere, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, you know, and she... Is uh, obviously she's a you know she's a YouTuber. She came from her her roots of the um, of Chicken Shop Date. So where give us the names of some companies? What I guess what I'm thinking of is is the 18, 19 year old that's thinking mm-hmm. I love YouTube, but I don't really necessarily know which bit I want to specialize in. Yeah, where's the best place to kind of get an all round work experience of that? So work experience at YouTube. Yes, or, or well, I meant more bro- like. Yeah, I so or understanding the ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I have to say that, and I know that he's been a guest on here before. But Jordan Schwarzenberger, who, for those of you who are listening, watching, who don't know, he is the manager of Arcade Media. So he runs the Sidemen, uh, who are a group of seven men who met ten years ago. They threw their shared love of gaming, and they, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, they've now got thirty-five people who work for them. But Jordan is incredibly visionary. Yeah, about you know how to get into you know sort of YouTube creator influencer world and and how to do it without necessarily having been to university or followed any of those sort of traditional t- traditional routes. Yes. So I think, you know, people like Jordan are an excellent, you know, way of sort of understanding how to do that. And I know that companies like them, they do work experience, they do internships, et cetera. Um, yeah, no, no, it's, it's amazing. And talk to us about the, the kind of stuff, because one of the interesting things about Simon now is... Um, they are creating their own products, right? Yes. So it's not just sort of the YouTube ad revenue and so on. How does YouTube look to support people doing that? And what do you see the future of those kind of ancillary products being? Yeah. Um, and it's something that, so when we talk about YouTube as a creative platform, we want YouTube to be the mo- most rewarding platform uh, creatively, emotionally, which means mean kind of a, like audience engagement, and also financially. Yeah. And financially is really, really important. Because ultimately, we want these creators to build businesses. And we know that we've got a very unique ad sharing model. You know, the yeah. fact that, you know, 55% of your, the, the ad revenue that you make on your site or 45% from shorts and it goes to you. It's a very scaled model. Um, and it's meant that we have uh, paid back 50 billion over the last three years to artists, creators and partners. So huge amounts yes. of money have gone through. And I think a lot of people don't realize just quite how scaled that ad revenue model is. 
Um, but there are also a number of other ways to make money um, through things like, you know, super channel, membership channels, or, you know, lots of other things. And then, as you mentioned, also there's the diversification. So someone like the Sidemen, obviously KSI has got his own product range when it comes to things like Prime. And the Sidemen, they have, they've really branched out. They've gone into sort of food and beverages, yeah. haven't they? <laughs> so Sides is their fried chicken pop-up, they're called Ghost Kitchens, I think yeah, they yeah. talk, talk about. And also the premium vodka brand that they've, that they've launched as well. So I think it's a really interesting example of a brand that has built. So on YouTube alone, 18 million subscribers. And they've got massive, massive audiences. And they've been be able to diversify outside of um, you know, YouTube for ad revenue, which is substantial anyway. Just bring us back to some of those key statistics about the UK. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to you talked about some of the numbers there what are the other things that are listed in the impact right it's done via oxford economics so it's all independent etc what are the other things that are striking numbers that are in there so the the main other headline is really the two billion so the fact that the youtube creative ecosystem contributed in 2022 over two billion to gdp so uk gdp which again is another huge number so it's the two billion and it's the over forty five thousand jobs they're the two um, most important headlines. The other, the other fact, though, that I think is is really interesting, and this goes back to the point earlier when I was talking about YouTube supporting and also exporting, is that over eighty five percent of watch time from UK creators mm. is outside of the UK. So that that goes back to the point around, you know, we're really creating these global brands. Yeah. You know, the audience outside of the UK is absolutely huge. And that is that is where the algorithm coming at it from our perspective is fascinating, right? In mm -hmm. terms of like you push these things out there and you post about it on your LinkedIn, Twitter, where almost all my followers are probably UK based, and then you know you sort of see it take off in India and places mm -hmm. like this. Like it's the algorithm does like extraordinary work in that sense in terms of like finding these audiences um, for you. It's pretty it's pretty staggering to kind of. Um, to watch. Yes, exactly, exactly. And it's, you know, it's phenomenal in terms of building global business businesses and, and getting that sort of global brand recognition for, for creators. How do you find the juxtaposition that you have to take in terms of being what I'm going to term YouTube mm -hmm. and then also being a corporate leader? <laughs> so let me give you a case study of where I sort of struggled with this. So we made a video about doing this video. And it was just that we're getting you on and we'd like your mm -hmm. questions, et cetera, drop them in the comments. And Sonny, our digital producer, came back and said, right, the title's got to be YouTube exec reveals hidden truths about the algorithm or something. And I said, it can't, can't, can't be that because, you know, that's potentially going to annoy her. But we're going to put, you know, that's not the way we need to go about it. And he was like, but that is what we need to do to be a success on YouTube. And I thought, Gosh, that is interesting and kind of sums up the problem that we slightly have as like trying to be quite a sort of corporate channel, quite corporate, um, versus you know, being a success on YouTube. How do, you, how do you find that positioning? As a leader? Yeah. So, I mean, the reality is, is that YouTube is, you know, a huge business. So 96% of all UK adults visit YouTube every month. So it's, okay. hu it's a huge, it's a huge business. And, um, but it's also, you know, at the forefront of popular culture and zeitgeist and everything else. And, you know, but, but running huge businesses requires, you know, sort of the normal scale of 
business leadership um, and governance and everything yeah. else. And I would say, you know, that governance piece is really and a really important part of YouTube's growth. And the example that I'd use there is is really sort of the journey that we've been on as YouTube. So, yeah. the, you know, we had huge challenges five years ago in terms of brand safety, yeah. in terms of sort of, you know, our policies. And we, you know, we've spent, you know, a huge amount of, invested a huge amount of technology and time in ensuring that our policies um, are really good and really strong. And that's why we now feel that, you know, when it comes to the online safety pull, it's, it's something we've been preparing for for years. Yeah. But this isn't something that's new for us. This is something that we have been preparing for. And we're very confident about the technology and the process and policies that we've got in place. Yeah. And so, you know, my job is absolutely to make sure that, you know, on the one hand, when it comes to this week, and I'm thinking about this week, you know, everything that we're doing around 50 years of hip hop. We've also got the side maturity match on, on, on Saturday, which is a huge event and also being live streamed on YouTube. You, you're welcome to come. Yeah. You're all welcome to come. <laughs> um, and then the other sort of, you know, big events this week is obviously government is back and yes. the online safety bill is, you know, is going through, is, is still going through the Lords. And so still. it is, <laughs> is in the Lords. And, and so, you know, my role, and I, I believe that I can do that, you know, very confidently is to manage sort of both, both sides of, of, of the role and how do your hours kind of break down because there'll probably be some people watching thinking oh ceo of youtube also does watch youtube you say as you said you do a lot uh, of that but what else do you spend your time on as a as the leader of youtube so yeah i mean a huge amount of my role is is, is spending time with creators and partners and brands uh, it's also policy makers you know i mentioned the online safety bill um, like you too, I'm sure, you know, it's just, you know, spending time with the right, um, policy makers, MPs, ministers, um, and also organizations around the, the creative ecosystem, whether that's BFI, you know, Creative UK. So they're all really important sort of stakeholders for us too. Um, and then, you know, thinking about the sort of marketing and sales side as well. You know, as I mentioned, we're, we're, we're a big business now and we've got, you know, fantastic, fantastic partnerships with brands and advertisers. Um, and so it's delivering against what their objectives are too. And what is the sort of biggest misconception that policy holders, policy, sorry, policy makers hold about YouTube, do you think? So very interestingly, we had a, a session recently with the shadow cabinet mm. and what was very reassuring was really how few misconceptions and challenges there were. You know, the questions were very curious, very intelligent, but there was nothing that was misconceptions. And I feel like going back to what I talked about sort of five years ago and challenges we had around brand safety, we don't have those misconceptions anymore. And why do you think that's shifted so much in the five years? I mean, obviously, you become much better at it as a, as a company, partly, but do you just think you're getting a greater kind of cultural understanding and beco becoming part of that cultural UK story? Yes, exactly. I think that's I think that's a lot of it. I think we've worked, you know, when I talk about supporting the, um, you know, the UK creative economy and industries, we work in partnership with a number of organisations, particularly the the broadcasters. We work really closely with the BBC, ITV, Channel Four, Sky. Mm. And it's been fantastic to see the relationship and how that has developed over time. You know, I'll give an example, something like the BRICS, you know, ITV is a broadcast partner and we, we live stream it globally. Um, also production companies yeah. like, you know, DAZN as well. So, so we have, 
we have much more established partnerships in place and it's something that we care very deeply about making sure that we are complementary to the to the ecosystem and and i also just think in terms of 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 content you know there is there is you know it's youtube is an encyclopedia of uk culture and content and you know looking at the growth in numbers you know i think about policymakers they all spend a lot more time on youtube mm-hmm. and that's you know maybe watching some more mainstream content or it's watching something very niche they're interested in they're much more f- familiar with with the content and the final thing i would say is that they've also seen in their own areas the benefit of youtube so i'll give for example health health as an example and health is probably the vertical that surprised me most since yeah. I've, I've started and i remember in my first week at so i've just been doing this job since january i remember my first week we had a health summit and i had no idea that there was a whole ecosystem of health creators who had all become youtube creators during the pandemic and they'd done that because their audience numbers were so restricted patient numbers were so restricted and they were also sort of really missing creativity and so there are all these pediatricians psychiatrists nurses gps who've become YouTube creators yeah, and just feeling like the energy in the room and, and the amount of, you know, good that they are doing surfacing you know, all of this fantastic health information. It's got something like 3 billion views in the UK alone. Health information is, sure. is really fantastic. So I think there's been a real benefit too, from the sort of policy side of seeing the benefit for, uh, for the areas sense. that they work in. And what other summits do you have coming up? I guess what I'm asking is where do you see the big kind of growth areas? What are the verticals that, people might not assume yeah yeah entertainment an obvious one but what are the other ones like health that might be coming up on the radar yeah so we we tend to meet quite regularly in terms of across different verticals so i'd say in the last couple of months uh we've got another health summit this week actually we had gaming summit Mm -hmm. sports summit responsibility summit so that's getting together all the cultural institutions government departments a lot of policymakers, yeah. you know, a lot of them are becoming YouTube creators too now and doing collaborations also with creators. And um, so I'd say health is probably the most unusual one, but all the other ones you would expect. More, more yeah, so. exactly. Interestingly, on the gaming side, Netflix events into the kind of gaming industry mm-hmm. where you actually play on Netflix. Do you see that as somewhere that YouTube might head in due course? Uh, in terms of playing playing through youtube so there are no current plans um but you know the gaming product is is constantly iterating and evolving and live is a huge obviously huge huge part of gaming because the like you said the simon earlier that's kind of where they started and and that's almost where youtube uh, got a lot of its growth 10 years ago was was streaming gaming exactly exactly and it and it still is you talked about brands and partnerships earlier and i think for consumer facing brands it's quite sort of easy to sort of stack up right you've got the views there there's quite a lot of analytics that you can provide and so on one of the interesting areas which i think is kind of in its nascency is sort of the b2b side Mm -hmm. of things partly creating content but also placing ads on as well what do you see as the opportunity for business to business to get on youtube and use it I think it's a basic, you know, it's all, it's always goes back to basic marketing principles in terms of what's your brand and who's your audience and how can you best engage them on YouTube. And I'm actually part of uh, an organization called WACL, Women in Advertising Communications Leaders. Mm-hmm. So it's most sort of, you know, sort of senior women. That sounds awful, most senior women. It's senior women in, yeah. in communications. And actually we're in the process of building a YouTube channel. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, 
you know, it's great to do it because we have a lot of uh, content that is already exists on YouTube with our with our senior leaders who are speaking at events. So, you know, it doesn't always have to be creating new formats. Yeah. It's also curating. So what can you curate that exists already on YouTube? Um, and so that's a sort of, you know, a lot of content that exists anyway. And then what are the interesting formats that, that, that you can create? I think that's one of the most interesting things, like the format creation across the piece, right? I mean, that's, you know, Richard Osman, who's kind of become one of the biggest kind of creators mm. in the UK, started out creating different um, game show formats and so on. That, to have created that and pitched a pilot to a production company mm. 10, 15 years ago would have been really difficult thing to do. Now, you could almost do it within a day and be recording the next day, right? It's yeah. incredible how sort of like how much that has changed that industry and that ability to get to a minimum viable product. Yeah, right? it's incredible. So I mentioned my husband's a film producer. The first short film that he put together was about was 20 years ago. It was called How to Tell When a Relationship is Over. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't take it personally. <laughs> and he, and what was fascinating was like, he had, he had a tape and he, he produced it and his friend wrote it. And they had this tape that yeah. they then sent off to places and didn't know if it had been received or who was watching it or, um, but as you think about, you know, now if YouTube had been, you know, uh, a thing around then, how different that would have been. They would have shot it, would have posted it. And then it's, it's, it would have been so much easier. You'd probably just done so, it shorts, wouldn't you actually think? Exactly. About it? Exactly. So, so I know I always look back at that and just think how different the process is, you know, you know, that it was all reliant on physical tapes. Um, one of the things that we kind of put out, put out a call for questions from people and so on. And Max Fosch is obviously one of the UK's biggest prominent creators kind of talks about wanting to know what you thought the impact of shorts would be on it. I mean, that is something that has exploded in the last yeah. sort of two, three years. How do you see that changing the nature of YouTube? Yeah, that's a great question. And for any of you who don't know Max, I would definitely spend time on his channel. He's absolutely hilarious. There's, there's a very good video where he wanted to get Chad Hurley, who is one of the founders of YouTube, to subscribe to his channel. And I won't give it, I won't give the end away, but it involves him a can of Coke and a transatlantic flight, which is we will link very to it good. In the exactly, link to it. I, 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 I'll put together a playlist. I can send you a playlist oh, yeah, afterwards yeah. of all the various things that I've, I've mentioned. Oh, that would be great. But, uh, Max, what was your question about shorts? Oh, so, yeah, shorts. so I mentioned, so multiple format, obviously, you know, shorts is a newer part of our ecosystem, our multi, multi format ecosystem. And we're really pleased with the growth of it in terms mm. of numbers and scale and uptake. And it's what's been interesting, actually, and I think I mentioned it earlier, is, you know, there are some creators now who are shorts first. Yeah. So Woody and Kleine, people like Hayley Morris, you know, they are shorts first. And there are many others, though, who, like you, you use it more as a sort of a trailer. Yeah. So you use shorts as a trailer into your younger, longer form content. And so for any creator, Max does shorts really well. It's just thinking about what's the role that it plays within the story that you're trying to tell yeah, and how to best deploy it. And do you think that's an easier kind of way for people to kind of get into it? Because in a way, it's easier to create a sort of 40-second clip than a 40-minute interview. Yeah, it's interesting, actually. I was talking to, there's a fantastic woman creator called Ichi Natori, who's a lifestyle entertainment. She does a lot of, of uh, beauty uh, vlogging as well 
And she was saying she finds shorts very hard. Yeah. She much prefers long, longer form, you know, and she does some really long form video. So she will talk for like, you know, an hour and she finds shorts very hard. So I think as a format, mm. it's just dependent on you and your creative style and whether or not it works as part of your playground or, or it doesn't. Yeah. I was quite sort of snobby about shorts in the beginning, just in terms of like, you know, we're a serious business podcast, you know, we do long for kind of entertainment, mm. you know, long form stuff. And actually being able to sum up a 45 you know hour long interview into 60 seconds is a real skill yes. and it was a skill that we like were hammered at school about actually being able to do that about getting your point across mm. quickly and it is just amazing to see how it changes how do you think streaming will change it because it's almost like you know kind of almost going back to sort of uh linear television really in a way now of like people saying well i'm going to be online at eight o'clock and it's just interesting how YouTube's kind of coming full circle. Yeah, that, that's really interesting, actually. I think particularly in terms of podcasts. Yeah. So quite often on podcasts, you see that, don't you? You yeah. see, you know, it's like every Sunday night or every Monday lunchtime. And so I see that more for podcasts than for other forms. And also actually for, for live, like some of the pay-per-view. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, like boxing, live and boxing is huge as the big serve. You know, KSI fight coming up in October as well, which is obviously appointment to view. Yeah. But I think particularly on podcasts, that's the other that's the other area. And I think it works well for that because you you know, you're sort of you're used to thinking about when you want to tune into something. Obviously just talks mm. about shorts being a big trend. One of the big trends across the world at the moment is AI. How is that going to change YouTube? Yeah, it's a great question. And the first thing I would, I would say is that AI has been a big part of YouTube for many years. Yeah. So we talked earlier about the recommendation algorithms and, you know, the fact that we all see different content, content that we love, uh, the fact that obviously a lot of our moderation is done through AI. So AI has been a big part of us. I think the inflection point that we're at is around what's it going to mean for generative AI. Yeah. And. You may have seen that actually last week we announced partnership with the music industry. Yeah. So obviously the music industry is the industry that would probably experience the sort of the most deep fakes first. And, you know, we want to ensure that we can partner really well with the music industry, which is why we came out announcing three principles of working with them. So the first was around partnership. The second was around um, content protection. And then the third was around scaling our trust and safety policies. Yeah. To ensure that they can also cover AI. And we believe that we're in a very strong position. We have content ID. So we have systems in place um, that we would look to, you know, evolve. And we also announced uh, an incubator with Universal Music. So we are partnering with them and a number of their artists, including Bjorn and Max Richter, to look at insights that we can get from yeah. an AI partnership. So I would say music is the first industry that we're really thinking about. We've got a number of announcements also that we're making later this year around AI. But I think the most important thing that I do want to say is that, you know, we're very committed to embracing it in a bold way. We think it's really important. It's, you know, it's going to be a big part of, you know, the future. But the most critical thing is ensuring that we do it responsibly. Yes. And that's why doing it in partnership, you know, we are, um, we're very welcoming of regulation. You know, we see regulation as being very important in the future of AI, but that also requires working very closely, not just with government, with different organizations, with academic facilities as well. It's, you know, it needs to be a very deep cross partnership. 
And it, it's interesting how it often comes from music first, right? Like yes. in terms of all kind of maps to disruption, exactly, exactly. And I think that's why the music industry is so committed to leaning in now. And and why? And I'm more sure. Kind of last week, it was just announced that Warner have announced the first AI artist, right, to join their stables. Like that's pretty incredible. Do you see that happening in YouTube in terms of there being just purely AI creators going forward? Potentially. Yeah. I mean, it's. I think what we're all experiencing now is, as I said, it's an inflection point. There's a huge amount of of change, and and you know we're expecting that change in YouTube too. And we want to make sure that we have the right processes and policies and tools as well to set our creators up for success, which is what we'll be announcing later. Oh, so, well, we might invite you back yeah. on. Now <laughs> we are at YouTube Music. Um, <laughs> if Alison Lomax would start a channel, what would it be specialising in? It's a great question. Do you know what? I think I'd have a podcast channel. Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I, I love interviewing. I love interviewing people. I'd, I'd get you on. You could come, <laughs> yeah, you could come yeah, on my great. channel. I, I'm quite interested in like mid form. So for podcasts, you mm. get quite a lot of short, you, you know, shorter form yeah. and longer form, but there's not much mid form, like yeah. the sort of 10 minute lightning talks. Yeah. So I think I'd focus on that and it would be, I'm sure it would be around something to do with diversity, leadership, pearls of wisdom, but I'd say podcast first. And on that, if you let's talk about just careers at YouTube itself, mm -hmm. right? We've talked a lot about the kind of ecosystem that surrounds it and so on. But you know, we're here in the kind of London HQ. There's a lot of people who who work here. Where are YouTube hiring most? Like, if you want to come and work at YouTube, what are the skills you're most looking for? So we have so many different roles, and I did a I actually did a careers fair recently so I'm very committed to uh careers in schools. Yeah. And I think largely that's because when I was at school it was like you were either a lawyer or an accountant yeah. and my dad said exactly the same thing it's like you either be a lawyer or an accountant. And I felt like there wasn't enough education in schools and and I don't think this still is either. So I've done a huge amount of speaking at careers fairs over the last 5 years. And I did one actually a couple of months ago and I took someone from my team who his career journey was he started an apprentice at Sky. Sky has always been brilliant apprenticeships. Mm. And he now runs a sports vertical at uh, at YouTube. And so what was fantastic is like talking to all these kids about the different types of jobs that there are. Because it's anything from, you know, this guy who runs a sports vertical, has all relationships with all the sports partners, to running our relationships with creators to working in engineering, to working in AI and, you know, product development on that side of things. You know, we have big music teams who work with artists yeah. and labels and business development and that side of things. Um, and trust and safety teams as well. And then if you want to be in a lawyer or an accountant, you, you know, going back that. to, you can do that as well. So, and we have fantastic lawyers, incredible lawyers. Uh, and accountants and finance people not How, wanting to diss their jobs. And what's, so you talk about going into lots of schools and so on. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of what we're trying to do at Jimmy's Jobs of the Future, mm. right? Is taking people like Mars Jacobson, the CEO of Football Manager. Like, if you could take him into every sixth form yeah. and explain, these are the jobs that I need at Football Manager. Yes, it's computer programmers, yeah. but I also need people that can do English narrative and so on. It's exactly what we're trying to do because I think that it's becoming harder for schools to keep up with the amount of jobs being created. They weren't yeah. very good at advising people necessarily as no. become accountants, lawyers, or medics. 20 years ago when I was there, right? They're going to be even worse at it now with all these new jobs being created. And that's not sort of disrespecting the school. It's just fact. It's enough to kind of teach people about the kind of subjects, mm. doing careers as well. I just think it's really, really hard. And it's best hearing from people like you, yourself. So 
What do you say when you go into those schools? So what I say is, so going back to the advice I had at school and from my dad, my dad was a very difficult background, got a scholarship to school, got a scholarship to Cambridge and Stanford and was an economist, did very well in his career, but instilled a very strong work ethic in me. He was adamant that I had to have a skill going to the workplace. Sadly, he died before I went into the workplace and I didn't have a skill. My plan was to work for the public sector. I did a politics degree like mm-hmm. you. I wanted to go and work for the public sector. But what was fascinating was that very early on, I found my skill because I was really drawn to technology. Yeah. And so my skill became digital. And digital didn't exist when I was at school. It, you know, Google and YouTube were not around when I was at school. And so I couldn't have known how my career would have progressed because it didn't exist at the time. But I was always drawn to what I was interested in. So my first job working for civil service, I worked in publications and digital media. That was then like CD-ROMs, dial-up internet. I mean, it was that like cranking, you know, the cranking noise of like the internet sort of. And (laughs) exactly, exactly. And it was that, it was that world which I could just see had so much potential in terms of how it was going to impact communication. And I really enjoyed doing something that was hard and hadn't been done before. But it was technology then that became, and digital that became my skill. And so the advice that I give to anyone in schools or to my kids is just follow what you're interested in. You know, you don't necessarily have to have a plan, but know when to kind of zig and zag. You know, I know you've had Sarah Ellis on here before, Mm. squiggly careers, you know, just he's incredible, incredibly inspiring, I think particularly the younger generation, they're going to have much more portfolio careers and it's going to be much less linear than our parents or even our generation. And so, yeah, just follow what you're passionate about and, and make sure that you, you know, just throw yourself into all the opportunities, build your network, um, be tenacious, you know, so much of it is how you do it as opposed to what you do. Do you think losing your dad earlier on in life in your kind of formative years or well, it did impact your career. How do you think it impacted your career? I think I I was very determined. You know, yeah. I was very I was very determined to 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 do well and to have a successful have a successful career. You know, yeah. I suppose you kind of want to make your parents proud, don't yeah. you? So, yeah, I quite um, agree on that. What's the give us some examples of creators that you might not have mentioned yet i mean we've got quite a fruit yeah. the playlist that you're great is quite a lot but um some other creators that we might not have heard of that you think are doing some really exciting things dr becky yes so she's an astrophysicist uh, she wants to make astrology accessible to everyone and so i think her mission is like you know, remember how excited you were about astrology and stars when you were younger you know yeah. to sort of like re-energize everyone around that so she's she's got an amazing channel actually, and uh, if you're particularly if you're interested in dark matter and supermoons and yeah, yeah. everything else, so she's very inspiring. I talked a little bit about health creators earlier. Dr. Simi, she is one of the uh, amazing health creators part of the community that we've we've built. And I remember the first time I met her, what really struck me is she said when I was studying medicine, all of the medicine books that I had had white skin. So I didn't recognize my skin and it made my job much harder when I was working with people who had different skin colors. And so a lot of her content is around, um, you know, just diverse skin tones. Um, so 
they are they are yeah there two additional ones two additional ones we can check at the end and the one the, the other thing i wanted to just for your reflections as a careers kind of podcast and conway the future you've talked about careers being less linear like you yourself took a year parenting break a few years ago i well, did last well, year yeah last year i came back in september so the reason i took a year is because i've got two daughters who at the time were 16 and 12. My youngest daughter was uh, her first year at secondary school and my eldest daughter was doing her GCSEs. She was the year who had like, a, you know, oh, yeah. a lot of challenges, homeschooling and were they going to do GCSEs or not? But the main reason was that my husband is a film producer and he was filming in Thailand for nine months. And so oh, he didn't right. come home for eight months. He literally didn't set a foot in the door for eight months. Wow. And so, you know, the most important thing for me was to be a good parent yeah. and to make sure that my children, my kids had good, you know, a good education year and that we as a family still functioned well. You know, it was, we knew it was going to be really hard, my husband, away for so long. And, and also what I would say is that it was just an amazing opportunity to sort of recharge. You know, yeah. being a leader during COVID was, was really hard. It was hard for everyone. But but having a bit of time out. And I said to my team, actually, before I went off, I said, I'm not going to write a book. I'm not going to learn Mandarin. <laughs> there is nothing. <laughs> there is exactly. The podcast is not starting yet. You know, this is about having time. It's about yeah. having time. And sometimes you need that time out. And I think the only thing I did learn, my, my dog had quite a lot of attention. <laughs> so I did end up becoming slightly obsessed with dog training. Yeah. You know, sniffer dog training, agility training. At one stage I was going up, you know, slides and through tunnels and all the rest of it. But other than that, I was just I was just present and yeah. enjoyed it and loved it. And I would recommend to anyone if they can, I know not everyone can financially, but if yeah. you are able to, you know, to make the most of those opportunities to have time out and prioritize what's important. Amazing. Alison, thanks so much for coming on to Thank Jules you so Fish. much. I've loved it. Thanks. Mm-hmm.